Welcome to the Senior Story Hour, where we share poems, stories, observations of life, written by the Franklin Senior Center Writers Group. I'm Peter Jay. I'm Bill Wiley. I'm Alice Judge. I'm Pat Winiarski. I'm Steve Sherlock. I'm Al Lacken. I'm Joe Ewald. Faith Flaherty. I'm Sue Bliven. And I'm Kathy Salzberg. Join us as we share and enjoy today's stories as told by the authors themselves. So, Kathy, once again, here we are in the moment of truth. What? What moment of truth? What? Huh? What? (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly everybody perked up and go, oh! (laughs) Now, let's just jump right in. We've got a lot of people today, a lot of stories to tell. Shall I start? Yep. Okay. This one is called Turn That Thing Down. Lately, I've been experiencing an interesting phenomenon that is new and surprising. I've been hearing music that no one else can hear. It isn't even the kind of music I would normally choose to listen to. Soft rock, country, blues, or love songs. It's a men's choral group, and they're singing the old songs I heard way back in my childhood, the music my parents knew and loved. It all started once I had acquired a hearing aid to help me understand others when they are talking to me. My daughter encouraged me to get this device because she thought it would be helpful and also because she got sick of me saying, Huh? (laughs) She even volunteered to help me pay for it. I'll be resting, reading, or watching TV when I hear patriotic pieces like It's a Grand Old Flag, When Johnny Comes Marching Home, or Over There, or sometimes old chestnuts like The Sidewalks of New York, Casey Wood Waltz with the Strawberry Blonde, or I'll Be With You in Apple Blossom Time. I've often heard hymns and Christmas carols, too. And the funny thing is, I remember all the lyrics. I couldn't even tell you where the music was coming from. It wasn't the TV, the radio, or the computer, or under my bed. I made my kids come into the room and they shook their heads and gave me funny looks. The office manager of my apartment complex took me up to the second floor to see if that's where it was originating. Nothing. Was I going crazy? Then I started looking into some terms I'd never heard. Musical hallucination, or MH, and phantom music, both used to describe the experience of hearing music when none is being played. It's similar to tinnitus, which is usually a buzzing, ringing, or roaring sound. In a small number of people like me, however, these experiences can be more complex and emotive, and we hear music instead. Musical hallucinations have a compelling sense of reality and are often mistaken for real music. The sounds are frequently heard as short fragments of simple melodies, often from music heard regularly and familiar from our youth. Interestingly, MH is more common in women than men and in folks over 60 years of age. Very rarely it can be caused by serious conditions like problems with the blood vessels in the brain, although there would usually be other symptoms as well. These occurrences are also more common in individuals who have epilepsy or Alzheimer's disease. I plan to bring up this situation the next time I see my doctor. Meanwhile, I will try to enjoy the music. Right now, those guys are doing a pretty good rendition of In Your Easter Bonnet. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah. 
I know. It, yeah. It's strange. Is it AM or FM? <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that's very disconcerting. I mean, we'll all be interested in um, hearing what you find out. Well, I decided not to worry about it, to just enjoy, enjoy the it. music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, there are no commercials. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, next we'll hear from Faith Flaherty. My story needs an introduction um, because the inspiration for the story was Robert Frost's poem, After Apple Picking. This is a poem published in 1914 in his book, North of Boston. In the poem, Robert Frost is talking about how he was looking forward to apple pies and apple ciders, and he, um, his mouth was watering when he started. But after going up and down the ladder, pulling off apples, he was glad to have finished the um, apple picking. I'm going to read sections of his poem because it's kind of long. After apple picking, my long two-pointed ladders sticking through a tree toward heaven still, and there's a barrel that I didn't fill beside it. There may be two or three apples I didn't pick upon some bow, but I am done with apple picking now. And every fleck of russet showing clear, my instep arch not only keeps the ache, it keeps the pressure of a ladder round. I feel the ladder sway as the branches bend, and I keep hearing from the cellar bin the rumbling sound of load on load of apples coming in. For I have had too much of apple picking. I am overtired of the great harvest I myself desired. There were 10,000 fruit to touch, cherished in hand, lift down, not let it fall, for all that struck the earth no matter if not bruised or spiked with stubble, went surely to the cider apple heap as of no worth. Now, now you'll see when I write mine why I thought of Robert Frost. Mine is called Apples and Apples and Apples and Apples and Apples and Apples and Apples. <laughs> and in, apples and apples. Ad infinitum. <laughs> Robert Frost's poem about being tired of picking apples brought back memories. He's tired of it. Once he thought he'd love apple trees, how nice, but it was too much. When I was newly married, we lived in a tenement. We saved and saved to buy our own house. When we finally had enough money, we bought an old World War II bungalow. It was only a four-room house and had half a dirt cellar and a crawl space for an attic with one closet in the house. We thought we had died and gone to heaven. Best of all was the backyard. The garden was full of tulips, even black ones. They were deep purple that gave the appearance of being black. There was a cherry tree that was so beautiful that the children in the school across the street were brought over to our yard to view it when it blossomed. But my favorite jewel in this paradise was the crab apple tree. Imagine, I could make apple pies with my own homegrown apples. I made apple pies for all the five years we lived there, I picked the apples. Most of them had fallen on the ground. They were small, misshapen, and somewhat insect-ridden, but I thought I had hit the jackpot for the first few years. They were so small that it took me forever to peel them. Sometimes I wondered if it were worth peeling because all I would get is a couple of slices. 
But when you're young, with eyes full of the glory of homemaking, you don't see the wormholes, but rather the apple pie. You don't smell the vinegar, but rather the freshly baked apple aroma. When we outgrew our little bungalow, I said goodbye to peeling crab apples. I now use just two apples to make one pie. And to think of the hundreds I used to wash, peel, and slice to make just one pie. The memories of those halcyon days are cherished, but like Robert Frost apple picking, I got tired of it. I'm getting hungry. I know. Yeah. I can smell them even. Can I have mine with ice cream? <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Joe Ewald, and the name of my story is The Mystery of the Misdiagnosis. About two and a half years ago, I was sick with what I thought was ammonia. I was having the usual symptoms of difficulty breathing and the constant coughing that usually accompanies it. I did not think it was a big deal. I had had experience with ammonia before. 14 years ago, I was in the hospital for 17 days. The ammonia in my chest was the size of an average fist. It was the sickest I've ever been in my life. I wasn't going to die, but close enough for a Monsignor to come in and give me the last rites. That was when I quit smoking after 28 years. So back to when I was sick two and a half years ago, I had no fears about going to the hospital to get treated because of my past experience. I was in the emergency room of a hospital that will remain nameless. I had the usual x-rays and CAT scans and was waiting for the ER doctor to tell me the results. I wasn't ready for what happened next. I should have known something wasn't right when the doctor took me to a room and closed the door. I was told I had lung cancer and I had one year to live. <laughs> as quickly as he told me, he left the room just as quickly. I really can't describe my reaction. I just knew I wouldn't wish it on anybody else. I know I did not play the blame game and ask, why me? No, I decided the best way to play it was to meet it head on. I was going to fight back. My family was notified and we quickly decided on a game plan. I was admitted to the hospital for further tests. My brothers Tim and Pete and I decided to go to the Dana-Farber Institute of Cancer. I remind you that it was an ER doctor who diagnosed me and told me I had cancer, not an expert. It was also a little funny that they never called in an expert. Then it finally dawned on me after three days to ask for an expert. When he looked at my scan, he declared I did not have cancer, but a major chest infection. To say I was happy is definitely an understatement. I think I was even happier to tell my relatives the good news. After three days in the hospital on antibiotics, I was released. It was my 60th birthday. As an afterthought to the ordeal I just went through, I wonder in that three days of thinking that I had cancer and praying some divine intervention somehow had happened. 
Therein lies the mystery of the misdiagnosis. Wow. All right. Yeah, for three days, I like, <laughs> I mean, the, Scary. When, he, oh, when he told me, I was like, oh, geez, the, the first, first day and night was rough. And then, but then the next day when I woke up, I felt a lot better about it and was going to fight it. That's my, that's how I am. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. and I didn't play the blame game or anything like that. Well, Why me? It's uh, a real roller coaster ride. Oh, my God, yeah. Emotionally, just... Mm. Oh. Mm. And then when you're told that you're going to live, it's like you, know, you look at life in a different way. Absolutely. Like you get a second Absolutely. chance. Absolutely. So, Kathy, who's up next? Yes. Next, we'll hear from Al Larkin. Hi, I'm Al Larkin. Hey, the title of my story is You Remembered Me. Grandmothers have a certain role they're happy to fulfill in spoiling their grandchildren to the fullest, and they have a grand time doing so. The one I know never forgets to send cards and gifts to hers on every occasion, on time, and exactly what the child or young adult seems to need or might want to hear. This prompted one of them to say to her mother once, that Grammy always seems to get the card or package here on the right date and the very thing I need. In wondering how she does that, I can only think it must be the intuitive love she has for them. I know the child in all of us feels what it's like when there's a card or box that comes with our name on it, even if it's something we ordered online. All the more for a young person who feels very special when the card or box arrives. In sending something, her, their grandmother does include my name as a giver too. So even though I might only help finding a box, the tape, or labels along with getting it mail, there's not much uh, on my part going into it. Undeserving though I am, when the thanks come with a card or a hug, I'm the beneficiary as well. It may be better to give than receive, it says somewhere, but I'm not sure there's the same kind of satisfaction in giving that a youngster feels when someone who's thinking of them remembers to send them an expression of their love. We have 12 grandchildren that keep their grandmother fairly busy with birthdays, holidays, and graduations, four of them living in the, the mid and far west of us at times in Tasmania, South Africa, or London for their education. So far away, all the more need to stay in touch. One such remembrance was sent to Kate at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama within London University, the only American student accepted there this past year. Kate's background prepared her well, but was nonetheless very challenged this time. All the more need for staying in touch with family and the kind of support it gives them. Her parents helped her get settled and visited when possible in their travels, and her grandmother had a role to play as well. This prompted her to think of things Kate could use or appreciate. The little box was made ready with soft red leather gloves, warm wool socks, and chocolates, along with the more important note that told her how much we love and miss this California girl of ours. The sending and timing couldn't have been more perfect for her need as reflected 
and an email that came from her that speaks from Kate's heart. Grammy and Granda, after having a 14-hour day at school and walking home in the rain, I came across this mystery box. It truly filled my heart. I can't express to you how much I appreciate that box of love. I am sick at the moment, so it lifted my mood to get me through the rest of the week. Always thinking about you both during this time of year, since there's no Thanksgiving here, I am always feeling homesick during this month, wishing I was in Donna's warm living room with you all. Made me feel so loved. I can't wait to see you both again. Maybe this summer, on my way back from London. If you guys ever fancy a trip to London in June or any time next year, I'm doing my final plays. Love you both. Thank you for thinking of me, Kate. You always like to know if the one you sent something to received it okay, and a thank you is nice even though there's no need of it. But this time, Kate's response was of great benefit to her grandmother as well. She wrote back to say, Glad you got the box, Kate. And your kind words to me mean more than you'll ever know. It's been said little things mean a lot. And that seems to apply here. The grandchildren can be sure of one thing as they make their way through life, that they are not alone. And because of their grandmother's thoughtfulness, fond memories will win the day for them, as Grammy never forgets and remembers when it counts. So now shall we hear from Steve Sherlock? Steve is our official audience member today. Indeed, thank you. <laughs> uh, do a little bit of poetry. Um, one of the things that I do, uh, I did at one point in time, I invented my own form of poetry. Hmm. Uh, you've heard of haiku? Yes. yes. Oh, yeah. uh, generally 17 syllables, three lines. Um, I do shirku. Um, <laughs> Picking up on the American medium of three and four syllables, uh, each line is generally three or four syllables, so it's more six, five or six lines as opposed to the three. Uh -huh. um, and I add two syllables. So instead of 17, it's 19 syllables. But anybody who's ever played cribbage, you know, 19 is an impossible score. So there's still that, you know, element of, you know, impossibility that the, the haiku-ist were, were going for. So. so what I did in this case was I took six individual haikus that were written over the course of a week in the woods in central Pennsylvania and put them together. So there's some repetition. You'll, you'll hear a repetitive phrase or a variation on a phrase as you go through. Uh, the place is called Weikert, um, and if you look on the Google Maps, Weikert, Pennsylvania, the road literally ends in Weikert, so <laughs> it's a wonderful place. There's no Wi-Fi, points don't matter, but before each meal, we pause to give thanks. Fallen tree diverted the trail along shaded rail line where folks gave thanks. Infant music box conjures ice cream, grass-stained fun, and fireflies, giving thanks. Intense or cursive, the fire circle discussion solves enough 
to give thanks. Joy of sowing triumph fades quickly with news of three sleeping so well to give thanks. Juggling cans, crossing over the monkey bridge where Laurel lined the path, saying thanks. What's the title? The title was uh, Gazal Weikert in 2014, July 2014. That was very good. Very, very good. Nice. Challenging, but it yeah. sounds yeah. good. Mm. They got it. And that's, I do, as I think we talked before, I do the more citizen journalism writing. Okay. So I just, you know, these are the facts, man, these are the facts. So I do use the haiku, shirku as a writing challenge uh -huh. to yes. make sure I can bring mm. and yeah. be condensed and concise yeah. for what I need to do. Yeah, it makes you think. It does. Yes. Mm. It does. Okay, now we'll go to Pat Winiaski. This poem is very lighthearted. After reading some very lighthearted poems, I decided to try my luck at one. A bunch. A bunch of bears is called a sloth. A gathering of crows, a murder. A household full of cats, a clowder. Groups of owls form a parliament. Is that the reason owls are termed wise? Yet a group of nocturnal, hairy-nosed wombats is termed a wisdom. Baboons form a troop. Quails form a bevy. But ferrets form a business which is rather funny, as ferret means little thief. A cluster of mice causing a homeowner anguish? That assemblage is aptly called a mischief. <laughs> Coyotes run in bands. Cheetahs run in coalitions. Lions have their pride, and pelicans their pod. This is all too much for me. I'll stick to calling groups a bunch. One word of warning, though, as we learned from Peter Pan long ago. Never smile at a basque of crocodiles and never interrupt a congregation of alligators. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Nice wordplay. Very nice. nice. Thank you. Very, Very nice. nice. Yeah. Thank you. It causes me to ponder something. that me, myself, and I collectively I will consider us a triumph. Pity <laughs> <laughs> a work of art. No eager there, huh? <laughs> and now, Alice Judge. Now, this is part two of our thrill-packed story that we began last month. Oh, that's right. Good. In our last scintillating episode... Yes, I read part one of Cheating is Murder. So now, for those that may not have been listening... I want to do a recap, if I may. In part one, Grace Merrill has been arrested for killing her husband Roger's mistress, Sharon Heller. He, Roger, told police that it had to be his wife because he wanted to divorce his wife and marry Sharon Heller. And Grace Merrill wanted to save the marriage. So Grace spends a day in jail, but also calls. Everybody's allowed one phone call. She calls her older sister, Helene, who the next day posts bail, and the two of them stay in town to find Grace a lawyer 
to defend her. In the interim, Helene is out of the um, hotel room looking for a lawyer, and Grace decides to take a nap. She's awakened by a telephone call. She doesn't know if she should pick it up, but she does anyway. It's Roger. He's trying to convince her to come over to his place and talk about the situation. Her intuition tells her that she better hang up, so she does. So part one ends when Grace and Helene comes back. They decide not to go out to dinner. Helene is tired after searching for lawyers. So Grace calls down to the concierge and orders a pizza. The pizza is not coming, so she calls down again to the concierge, and he says he's going to check on the, on the pizza. Half hour later, there's a knock on the door. Grace goes to get the money and the tip, and she opens the door. This is where it starts, by two. Half an hour or so later, there was a knock on the door. I looked through my purse for money and an ample tip and opened the door. Roger rushed in. What the hell, I yelled. He had a gun. What's going on? Roger had my pizza. I told the guy at the desk I was your loving husband and said I'd bring up the food. Did you show him the gun, too? I tried for levity. <laughs> Surprised I could utter a sound. Shut up, you damn fool, he snarled. You always were so stupid. I guess I was for marrying you, I retorted, amazed at my bravado. His tone changed, and he started getting emotional. I loved Sharon. Why did you have to kill her? Now I'm going to have to kill you, he pointed the gun at me. I could feel tears on my cheeks. I didn't know I was crying. Go ahead, Roger. You've killed me already. I sat on the couch. I have loved you through all the affairs you've had, always hoping you would come back to me and the kids. And you did, until the next time, anyway. I've been such a fool. Go ahead, shoot me. I want my life to be over. I'm glad you feel that way, said Helene, standing in the bedroom doorway. In her hand was a gun. Her face was menacing. Helene, what's going on, I asked. Raj is right, you are stupid. But this makes it better, both together like this. It will look like a murder-suicide. Was I dreaming? Helene, what's gotten into you, I pleaded. I killed Sharon. She and I plotted to get Roger involved. But when you went to see Sharon, she may have laughed at you, but afterwards the woman got soft and wanted out. I had to kill her. She was going to tell Roger the whole story. What have you done with my sister, Helene, I asked. My sister loved me and wouldn't have a gun in her hand or wish to kill me. Have you killed her also? Helene, that is. Helene came over and hit me with the butt of the gun. I felt that back bleeding on the couch. What's happened to you, I yelled. Roger, do something. My sister laughed. Roger was always so weak. I devised a plan, found Sharon. She was to find Roger, seduce him, and they were going to kill you. Roger would have done anything, Sharon suggested. Why kill Roger? Isn't he part of your plan? Helene stomped her feet. Don't you get it? You are so naive. The cops will find you dead by Roger's hand. He'll feel so much remorse that he turns a gun on himself. I'll be beside myself with grief for you, my little sister. I looked at Roger. Was he in shock? 
What had I ever seen in him? There was no point in asking him to help me. He looked comatose. I don't understand. I said, why? Lou's been arrested for fraud. The FBI has seized our bank accounts, house, Lou's business, insurance business. I have no money and no place to live. Our kids washed themselves of both of us. I need money, plain and simple. Then I remember the time when Roger had strayed, and you changed your will and left me as beneficiary in disgust of his habitual womanizing. Let's get this over with. But you made my bail. It's a weekend. It won't bounce till Monday. Roger, stand up, you spineless jerk, Aline yelled. I looked over at Roger. Had he been sleeping? This didn't look good for either of us. I would have given you the money, Helene, I said weakly. I love you. It seemed like Helene faltered a little, but regained her tough facade. Too late now, she shrugged. I must stall for time. Why didn't you tell me about your troubles? I could have helped somehow. Please put the gun down. I'll sell my house and give you the money to start over. Murder is not the answer. My sister appeared to be mulling over what I was saying. Helene, give me the gun. Let's face whatever it is you're facing together. You aren't the murdering kind. I love you and I want to help you, I pleaded. My prayers were answered as my sister handed me the gun. I put it on the side table near the fireplace and went to hug my sister. It was then Roger grabbed the gun and shot Helene. Then he aimed at me. I jumped behind the couch. Roger shot again, the shells penetrating the couch. I ran behind the easy chair. I saw Helene laying on the couch. She wasn't moving. It was then I spied Roger's gun where he had laid it. I spied an ashtray by the TV. Roger was shooting wildly, not particularly in any direction. I grabbed the ashtray, threw it in the opposite direction of the couch. When Roger shot in that direction, I made a dash for the gun. Roger turned in my direction. Without thinking, I shot Roger. He went down. I kept shooting. I didn't stop until I was out of bullets. Helene was in bad shape. I called the police, told them to send an ambulance. Roger was dead, and I had a twisted tale to tell them. It was important for Helene to live. She was the only one that could back up my story. Helene survived but was quickly jailed. Her attorney pleaded self-defense and that Sharon Hella fought with my sister over the gun, and it went off and hit my husband's mistress. The jury didn't believe that scenario. My sister is appealing her sentence. Me, that night seemed so surreal, I sometimes think it was a dream. But Roger is dead and my sister is not with me. I'm just glad to be alive. That's quite the scene. Few twists and turns. Wow. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, Alice. <laughs> see? Nicely done. Thank you. Big Bill. Uh, I called it My Love I Send. My beautiful lady friend, do I love you? My love for you is oh so true. I want you around, this I know. I have deep feelings. My love 
does show. I feel so happy thinking of you. If I was the dove, I'd like to coo. I think I found my love at last. My future's here, not from the past. You come from a land so far away. When you come to see me, I hope you'll stay. I want a life with you by my side. I feel so free. I have nothing to hide. Sweet, sweet love, it feels so grand. Hug you and kiss you and hold your hand. I'll tell you I love you over and over again. A brand new life will soon begin. This beautiful lady, you make me smile. This feeling of love surrounds me all the while. So goodbye for now, my love I'll send. It's only the beginning and not the end. Right, Nicely done. Very good. Hallmark is looking for you. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So, Kathy. Yes. After an absence, I'm pleased to point out that once again, Sue Blevin has joined us. Yay. Yes. Very good. Welcome back. Thank you. You ready? Yep. We are. Chi. Does everybody know what chi is? Yes. Yes. Okay. When my daughter was in therapy after her encephalitis, we were working with a Reiki master, and um, he'd had the music going. And one day I was sitting there in the room, and this is what happened. The music amazes me. It soothes and comforts. It urges the soul to rest and be calm. The healing begins with the sound of the harp. Water swirls and swishes, gurgling you to sleep. Wake up renewed, strong, happy. Good health is all that matters. The flute dances and encourages inner strengths to overcome the pain and senselessness of humanity and everyday human tensions. She is just amazing. Thank you. Oh, wow. Mm. Wow. You. Nice. Nice. Beautiful. And officially welcome back. Yeah, thanks. Nice. Mm. Nice. That must have been cathartic, was it, hmm? to write that? Did it make you feel good to write that? Was well, it your I daughter? It. She asked I if it was your it. daughter. You know? Yeah, she was in one of her sessions, and I'm sitting back, and he's got the, the Chinese music, and he's doing the Reiki and stuff, and then all this is, you could feel the energy in the room. It was just so amazing. It's like, I just started writing things. Nice. Now, today we're going to do something a little different. Oh. Uh, normally, as you know, I write something, yes. and I have written something. Today, what I've written is a promotion, a radio promo for this program. Oh. And we're all going to record it now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pass out copies of the script, and the result will be that each of you will be voicing parts of the promo after Keith works his magic. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh. You have there such you confidence in us. We're going to read them, and then you're, going to, then you're going to piece it all together? Exactly. Well, what we're going to do is we're going to do multiple takes, uh, and I'm just going to have each of you do, like, just two or three lines out of it. Okay. And, and again, we'll repeat them, and so on. And then, through the magic of radio, with a, a spray of acoustical magic, <laughs> we'll, hear, we'll hear the result. Wow. Okay. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do three lines. Kathy, you're going to read the exact same three lines I do, okay. and then we'll go from there. Okay. Join us for Senior Story Hour. We bring our life experiences and imaginations to the page. We spin up memories, events, and observations of life. Join us for the Senior Story Hour. 
We bring our life experiences and imaginations to the page. We spin up memories, events, and observations of life. Very nice. Do you enjoy listening to stories? That's why we're here. Terrific. Okay, Alice? Where do I start? You could start in with, uh, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Join us. Tune in. Better yet, join our group. Excellent. And, Kathy, you can pick it up from join us. Join us. Tune in. Better yet, join our group. We meet every week at the Franklin Senior Center. Very nice. We meet every week at the Franklin Senior Center. You have stories to tell, stories to write. We would love to hear them. That's terrific. Al? I will start with uh, your stories to tell? Sure. You have stories to tell, stories to write. We would love to hear them. Call the Senior Center for details. Very nice. Okay, uh, we'll finish it up with Sue. Same thing, you pick it up with We Would Love to Hear Them. We would love to hear them. Call the Senior Center for details. We'll see you on the radio on Senior Story Hour. Cool. And then I'll do the button on it, you know. Yep. On Senior Story Hour, Fridays at 11, 2 and 8 p.m., and Saturday at 4. What we'll do is I'll juggle all that stuff through Radio Magic, and we'll have ourselves a nice little promo that we can put on all week long. Good. Join us for Senior Story Hour. We spin up memories, events, and observations of life. Do you enjoy listening to stories? That's why we're here. Join us. Tune in. Better yet, join our group. We meet every week at the Franklin Senior Center. You have stories to tell, stories to write. We would love to hear them. Call the Senior Center for details. We'll see you on the radio on Senior Story Hour. Fridays at 11, 2 and 8 p.m. and Saturday at 4. So, Kathy, we did it again. We, dare I think it, we actually performed useful work. What is up with that? <laughs> we, we've got to try harder. I know. <laughs> but we would love to have you join the group. We're always open. Get together every single week at the Senior Center. That's Wednesdays at 1 o'clock, correct? Yes. So if you did got nothing to do Wednesdays at 1 o'clock, you know where to be. Come on down. Absolutely. Usually, usually upstairs. <laughs> if you'd like to join the writer's group, just call the Senior Center. 520-4945. For today's writers, Kathy Salzberg, Bill Wiley, Alice Judge, Pat Winiarski, Steve Sherlock, Al Larkin, Joe Ewald, Faith Flaherty, Sue Bliven. Thanks for being with us here on Senior Story Hour. Until the next time, I'm Peter J. Remember, be they laced with gravity, levity, wisdom, or whimsy, the meaning, experiences of life become a little larger when you share them, when you take a moment to commit pen to paper and just write. This is FPR, Franklin Public Radio.